CSI Podcast, Episode 37, Season 3. My name is Russ Shaw. I'm friends with the monster, the son of my bed. Get along with the voices inside of my head. You're trying to save me, stop holding your breath. You think I'm, you think I'm crazy, yeah, you think I'm crazy. Well, that's not fair. ASI247.org is the website. For all the women who've contacted me over the years that feel like they're a bit crazy, like they're the only women struggling with this, my interview with Crystal Renault of Dirty Girls Ministries. Here you go. My guest today, Crystal Renault of Dirty Girls Ministries. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Crystal. I appreciate it more than you know. Well, thanks, Russ. I appreciate the opportunity to be on. I have got one too many emails over the years. There's been women that have contacted the show who feel like they're alone. You know, they feel like, well, I'm the weird one or I'm the crazy one that is addicted to pornography. Like, what is up with me? You know, and they, it's been kind of peppered throughout the the years I've been doing this podcast and, and my heart goes out to them. And again, having you on the podcast helped clear some of that up talking about your story. This isn't just a men's club kind of a thing, is it? It's certainly not a men's club. It's uh it's an everybody's club. It's like everybody in the pool kind of kind of problem. Um but I certainly understand that that feeling of being alone. I I was one of those women for 8 years of my life thinking I'm the only one, I'm the weird one. So I resonate with that heart and I and I have a heart for those women who 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 live in that and who feel that way. Right, and you've started quite a ministry with uh, Dirty Girls Ministries. You also do Whole Women's Ministries, um, as well as uh, you have an online forum, as I understand, with over 2,200 members, right? Yeah, we have an online community of women who um, are disengaged in you know, daily accountability, encouragement, prayer, um, where they can log on instead of logging on to watch porn, they can log on to interact with others who struggle and are in the fight together. A, a different place to go when when yeah. tempted online, which which is awesome. Yeah. And it's exclusively women, right? It's all women. Yeah, we don't have unfortunately or fortunately we don't have allow men to be in there. Um, but we we understand they they too struggle, but um, this is a, it's a unique space for women to gather. Yes, and that's awesome because women need a safe place to talk about uh, talk about this without guys around, and and as well as guys need a safe place to talk about it without women around. You know, it, it, creating that kind of safety net of community, even online, is is so powerful. Um, another thing that I heard um, somebody was talking about uh, going on websites like Clear Eyes and stuff like that. They actually use some of the data that you have surveys on your website where you have women fill out surveys. And some of that's actually been used as like sociological data um, uh, talking about women in pornography, right? Yeah, I think so, a little bit. Um, I, I think for the most part, uh, a lot of the data out there is outdated. Um, mm -hmm. we, we've taken upon ourselves to create a new survey earlier uh, last January um, to kind of get a, get a gauge for what's the addiction look like in women? Like, where, how widespread is it now? How prevalent is it? Um, 
you know, and the numbers were not surprising to us to just do the ministry, the ministry day-to-day because we know that it's a lot of women. We get emails all the time. Um, but I think it's been surprising to those who have seen our numbers about how prevalent it really is. Something like uh, you were saying, something like 40% of Internet traffic is, is women today, right? Yeah, they say that 40% of Internet porn traffic is generated by women, um, which is pretty staggering when you consider, you know, that's close to being half, you know, right. of, of all. So you wouldn't necessarily think that that many women are, are the ones who are engaging in it, but it, they are. Well, let's get into your story a little bit because, uh, you know, there may be the, the listener out there that's like, well, all right, well, why is it a problem? Um how did how did this play out in your life, Crystal? What what made you come to the say, hey, I I need to start this ministry? How did that happen? It was certainly not my choice to start this ministry. That was uh, a divine intervention. Um, but you know, I came across pornography at a very young age. I was only ten years old when I found a magazine in my brother's bathroom. That was back in the day of magazines and not necessarily. Right. Um, internet porn and you know I was home alone a lot at that age and I was alone and um, not to like just blame my dad but there was a lot of emotional abandonment in my household from him and my mom uh, a little bit and so when I was alone and I found that magazine I for whatever reason I think I was just kind of primed to find it um, by the enemy himself you know as a way to kind of fulfill that kind of longing that intimacy in my life that kind of affection that I was I was needing and of course it right. was faulty it wasn't real it was very um, fake but it immediately filled me with an enormous amount of, of shame but also an, an enormous amount of like good feelings like man this is like making me feel really good um, right you know and so at such a young age I didn't even really know what sex was let alone really know what porn was didn't know porn was even a word you know so I uh, didn't know what I was looking at necessarily but I knew I liked it but I also knew that I probably shouldn't be and right. um, but instead of going to anybody and saying hey this is what I found I just kind of kept that as my own little secret and um, once that magazine was missing from the bathroom, I was like, okay, what else can I look at to get that same kind of feeling, that same kind of high? Um, and so I would raid my dad's movie cabinet. He didn't have pornos, but he had, you know, already movies that he said we couldn't watch. So I knew there must have been nudity in them or something. Mm. And so I'd fast forward through every one I could, every every single video of his to see what I could find. And I would do that on a regular daily basis after after school. Um, and then eventually, of course, internet came, and it was all whole, you know a smorgasbord um, right. entertainment for me. Um, whether I was at school, whether I was at home, um, we even had a filtered internet at home when we first got the internet. But of course, filtering is only so good, and if you know what you're doing, you can get around it. Um, and chat rooms, cyber sex, phone sex—it didn't matter what it was. Whatever I could get to, whatever I could find. I engaged in it on a regular basis, and it wasn't like once a week. It wasn't like periodically. It was a daily habitual problem for me. Right. Um, so it got to the point where, you know, you no longer owned your pornography. It started to 
own you, right? Absolutely. No, I I literally felt like I had no control over it. I know that sounds like a cop-out to some people, but I honestly did not have any control. I was It was a compulsive um, issue in my life um, because I did not learn how to feed my need for different kinds of intimacy, different kinds of emotional needs in a healthy way. I never learned how because I was never shown that. And so when pornography came into into my life, that became my outlet. And so if you think right. about how you talk to friends or how you talk to your pastor or how you talk to your family and you and you kind of get that emotional connection with somebody, I didn't have that in my life. My emotional connection right. from the age of 10 was stunted through pornography. And so that became the only thing that I really used. And, of course, at that point I was so ashamed of it and that who was I going to tell, first of all, and how was I going to tell somebody and so all of my relationships, whether they were in my family, whether they were friends, whether they were at my church, they were so, you know, arm's length, shallow, not real and genuine because I couldn't really be myself because I didn't feel safe to be myself because myself was this porn addict. Right. As a young girl, like, who who does that? And so, right. of course, I felt like I was the only one. Feeling like I, I get that, too, you know, it's it's. Uh, something our pastor said about pornography it's kind of like you want a cold you know good refreshing glass of water but with pornography we're we're like drinking out of the toilet you know and and you know going back to some of those intimacy issues it's like yeah but sometimes toilet water if you're thirsty and you feel like you're you know you're gonna die it still feels wet right it still feels like and then when you bring in the the mask, you know, the shame, and you wear that, and, and you just feel like you can't talk about it. it, just kind of grows in the dark, doesn't it? It does grow in the dark. You know, I think any sort of addiction, regardless of what kind of addiction it is, you know, it, it, it gets fed in the dark. You know, it's like right. a beast in the shadows, you know, and as you keep feeding it, it gets bigger, and you don't realize how big it is until it comes into the light. Um, right. You know, so... For me, I had no idea that my I was I was so severely addicted. I knew that like this was my pattern in life. This was my routine, but I had no real idea about how bad it was until I was faced with the choice to like walk away from it for a week. Right, just Stop. one week. Not right. You know? One week. Um, when I was when I was invited to go to church camp, which you know, what porn addict girl wants to go to church camp? Um. So, you know, and so I realized, oh, my gosh, I can't even contemplate the idea of leaving my house for a week or leaving Internet connection for a week because they didn't have smartphones then either. You know, right. so um, so that, that was a really telling moment for me. Like, you really need church camp, you know. Jeez, you know. Um, so I ended up going. Uh, and it was really difficult at first because I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't masturbate here. I can't, you know, I can't do anything that I that I usually do um, every day, repeatedly every day um, for five days. And, um, but, you know, it was interesting because in, in that moment of clarity, and I call it clarity, or at least it was fuzzy clarity, um, you know, I realized, man, I do have a problem here. But then at the same time, you know, I hadn't been saved yet. I had like a moment when I was eight years old at church, but I hadn't really 
accepted Jesus into my life with any kind of true surrender. It was right. more of like a a peer pressure kind of thing at, at uh, Awana or whatever right. it was. Like altar call um, kind of a peer pressure yeah, deal, Yeah, you right? know, it, and I really didn't have any kind of, it wasn't really real to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at that camp, sir, at, the, at one of the nightly services of that camp, you know, I heard, um, you know, the camp pastor say, you know, you have a father in heaven who loves you and who loves you unconditionally. And for me, I had never heard those words before. You know, like, right. first of all, I knew my dad loved me, but I certainly thought it was conditional. And I certainly didn't um, feel it all the time. Um, so the idea that there was a father in heaven who loved me and loved me unconditionally, no matter what I did or who I am, you know, that was something that I really wanted to sign up for. Because I was like, that's right. something I never heard before. And if that's really true, then, yeah, sign me up for that. Um, right, that's a little deeper know, than uh than just getting into a, a recovery group to stop, you know, this this behavior that's... I like that, you know, your approach to that was more, yeah, I have a I have a father. That was me, too. You're reflecting on some of my story. Like, I grew up kind of Jack Christian, sort of, and went to stuff at the church that, that I went to as a kid. And I got saved, like, three times. You know, they did the altar call. <laughs> And I'd go up and I'd go up thinking it's gonna fix me this time, right? Like, oh, yeah. maybe it'll take this time and I'll stop, you know, being this person that I was. But yeah, it's a the gospel. I heard someone say that you know, the, the this word gospel has been kind of uh shallowified by religion and, and what it really means is good news. I mean that's very good news, isn't it, Crystal? It kind of it impacted your heart, it collided with your heart, so to speak, right? Yeah, I have goosebumps. It was very good news because it was finally like, okay, I have I have love in my life. Like there's real love that's from not just my mom or whatever, but it's it's a love that's that was willing to die for me. Right. You know, which who says that to any to any, you know, 15-year-old girl, I'm willing to die for you. Um, you know, and for me that was enough to sign up for, but you know, and as much as I wanted to quit the porn, as much as I wanted to quit all this compulsive behavior, even though I made that decision that day, that wasn't enough. Right, it didn't fix you. I went home and immediately watched porn, so it wasn't as if I had some, you know, full body experience where all of a sudden I'm free, you know, yeah. if anything, I think I think the enemy just loved that, and he was like, "Oh, let's fill you with even more shame because who are you now that you've accepted Christ and you're still doing this behavior?" That's right, like, and that's what's cool you know, about your ministry being the you know the ministries that deal with sexual integrity because sometimes we can see that you know getting saved, so to speak, in, in the Christian terms as snake oil, you know, it's almost, it's almost sold to some folks as, yeah, it's going to, you know, wash all your sins away and you won't be this person anymore. But no, we still have to deal with who we are, but we're forgiven. And that's a different paradigm, isn't it? It's a very different paradigm. Yeah. I think even later on when I would go to um, like youth events or something with the church and I was still actively in porn, uh, looking at porn, you know, I would hear these sermons, you know that I would say, you know, when you're when you're saved, you're changed, or when you're when you're saved, you know, the you know the old is gone, and it's like yes, it is from a you know from a you can go to heaven 
point of view, you know, and like you know, like your your sins have been bought and paid for. But your earthly struggle is still your earthly struggle. And you're still going to have to come to terms with who you are right now and what you have and what you have done and why. Um, right. You know, God can't really use you until you come to that point of surrender and say, "God, you have to take this from me." You know, right. I I love you and I trust you. Um, will you take this from me? And I didn't get to that point till I was, you know, three years later, after I after that camp experience. You know, so I was three years of of shame and struggle and isolation and trying so hard, like through osmosis, like doing everything I could as a good godly Christian girl to like get clean, like take you know get this off me. But I never got to that point where. I was like, okay, you got to take it from me because I think there was a part of me that did that was worried about what that would look like, you know, kind of scared right. of like, what am I without this? Um, yeah. You know, um, and so my come to Jesus meeting, you know, it was when I was 18 years old, almost 19. You know, I and I'll be. This is not in the book. They edited it for uh, whatever reason. They decided to edit it for. You know, I struggled with same-sex attraction at that point mm-hmm. in my life because of the porn use had just totally ravaged, like, what was normal to me. Right. It, it, it distorted uh, my views of, of sexuality and who I was and was I, was I a lesbian, was I straight, was I bisexual, why did I watch lesbian porn, like, what's going on with me, um, and of course... And then you got culture saying, well, you just need to embrace who you are, like... I, that's so frustrating. I laugh because it's such a, a shallow message, but it's I, I feel oh, you with that you know, pressure. I'm, 20, I'm 29 now. I can't imagine if I was, you know, 18, 19 now in this culture. You right. know, I probably would have been like, okay, I'm free to be me. Right. I must you be know, gay. Even then, more right? so than I was 10 years ago, right. if you consider what culture is like today. Um, you know, and so I was really afraid of, like, what that was and what that meant for my family and my life. Like, I might have come out to my family and say, I think I'm gay. Like, if I said that to my mom, she would have had a stroke. You know, so there was so much going on in my head and in my heart at that time. And at the very same time, you know, I'm walking that very fine line, that, that balance between good and evil in my life and doing all the right things while doing all the wrong things in my private life. Um... You know, and I wanted to I wanted to be a virgin when I got married. Like that's something I really wanted, you know, and I figured, you know, if I as long as I don't have sex with a man then I'm still a virgin, right? You know, right. so all these things went through my mind about what was a virgin, was it a physical thing, what what was it? You know, believing these, the lies, yeah. It's there's yeah. so many Yeah. Yeah, so my rock bottom, you know, come to Jesus moment was me in a hotel room waiting for an anonymous encounter with a woman that I met online. Right. You know, like that was like, because the porn wasn't working anymore. You know, the cyber sex wasn't working. Phone sex was unfulfilling. I couldn't get the high that I had before. So I was like, man, I'm going to have to have sex now then, which I really didn't want right. to do because I really wanted to be a virgin, you know. And so right. I didn't know what, how else to like satisfy this need in my life, you know. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have sex with a woman. That has to be the next option for me, Right. Yeah. So I end up at this hotel room waiting for this person that I met online to arrive. And I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting on, right there by the bed. 
right by the by the dresser, and I'm looking at myself, and I'm thinking, and I it's like it's almost like out of body experience almost, where I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm thinking, what are you doing here? Right. You know, how did you get to this point, where this little girl who grew up with a Southern Baptist mom, and uh, you know, <laughs> you know, like how did right, I get right. to this point where everything I was ever taught has been thrown out the window because I'm sitting here about to do something that I honestly never even fathomed before. And even looking back, I'm like, what was I doing? Like, if I could go back and just shake her and slap her in the face, I would. I was like, what are you doing? Um, I heard a woman's story that was similar to this, and, and she was saying that she saw a picture of herself as a little girl and thinking just like you were saying, like, how how did I get to where... I'm I'm damaging that little girl. Like that yeah. little girl still existed. It still existed in you. Right? I was that little girl. If you think there. about, you know, yeah. I was I hadn't matured emotionally at all. You know, right. from the age of ten, I was that little girl, just trying to be loved and find love and feel loved. Like that's all I was. That that was who right. I was. Um, even at nineteen or eighteen, nineteen, I was that ten year old girl. Um. That's what's cool about today that we're realizing how, um, especially internet pornography addiction, really hijacks our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's some see, well, some of the research that you were talking about as far as as a woman's struggle um, as opposed to a men's. There's there's less difference between our brains than than I thought. You know, I, I always thought that this was you know Fifty Shades of Grey was kind of the woman's porn. But it, it's more visual. Um, the, the all of these, different, like you were saying, you know, you just get to that rock bottom point where it just, what got you off last week doesn't get you off the, the next week, and it mm-hmm. just gets progressively darker. Or because our, what we're trying to have fulfilled isn't isn't being fulfilled. It's being sort of fulfilled in our in our flesh, but not in our heart and our mind, right? Absolutely. I don't really think that there is a lot of difference. I think the thing, I think culture likes to say that women are just into erotica and they like romance novels and the story and the fantasy. But when you're an addict, you're an addict. And yeah. I don't think that there's anything out of you know out of reach if you're you know needing that high to be fulfilled. I think I think it does manifest itself in a different way. Like for me, like I do think that men go from porn to affairs too and or porn to in-person encounters too, but I think that women it's almost a little faster. But I think that right. sometimes, you know, porn is not enough. It's not emotional enough. Um because we are made for that, that intimacy God created us differently to be the more emotional you know, of, of the sexes, and so we need that emotional mm-hmm. connection more than a man does in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know that if, I, if I would have done what I did as a man or not, but I think I probably would have, um, you know, so I'm sitting on that on the hotel bed, and I'm just like, you know, and I have a come to Jesus meeting, you know, he, I hear, of course, I was saved three years prior, but I really had never encountered him, you mm-hmm. know, I hadn't encountered the power of God. I haven't encountered how big he is or how much he really cared for me. And it might sound a little bit charismatic, but I felt as if I'd heard his voice in that room that day saying right. to me, give me this. 
This is I have so much better for you than this. Just give me this. Surrender it, right? Yeah, I had to surrender it finally in that moment to really surrender and say, okay, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender to you. I had no idea of what else to do in that moment other than to bow down and say, fine, I give up. Because I knew I didn't want to do what I was about to do. I didn't want to do it. My addiction wanted it. Um, And so... I hear the honestly the door is knocking. Like I'm hearing knocks at the door because she's there and everything. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm just praying. Okay, you got to make her go away because if I have an option, I'm gonna do it because right. she's here. I don't want to be embarrassed, you know, or whatever. You know, and finally she she stopped knocking and walked away. I guess I never heard again from her, or I never engaged in a conversation with her again. But you know. um, and even walking out of that room that day, yes, I had surrendered it. But, again, how do I go about really changing, you know, because I don't have anybody to talk to about it, you know. Right. And that's where, you know, getting that from the inside out kind of thing. You need you needed some community, right? I, I was reading in your story, uh, Crystal, about this kind of behind-the-counter moment that, that you, you talked about meeting this you know, kind of having this, you you have to be this good Christian lady on the surface, but you talk to someone who really kind of blew the lid off of, of what that meant, right? Like she just started sharing her story with you. Yeah, and, it was one week later after that hotel experience. Oh, wow, that's um, awesome. Yeah, and I, cause I, you know, I went home and I was like, okay, God, like this, you got to give me a way out here. Like, yeah, I understand. I need to surrender this. I need to let go of it. I need to walk away from it. I gotta be healed. But man, who do I talk to? Even if I went to my mom and was like, I gotta go. I gotta go see a counselor because I was still on their insurance plan at the time. You know, like, what am I gonna? What am I gonna say? Like, I need counseling. Oh, well, why, honey? You know, I'm not. I'm, I wasn't ready to be like, I'm addicted to sex and porn. Like, you know, <laughs> you don't say that to your mom. You just don't. I wish I could have. I wish I did, but I didn't. And so I just, you know, and so within a one week of that, I was at a I was at a Christian conf- or a Christian concert again, being a good Christian girl. And I and I uh, ran into this woman named Anne, who I'd only known as an acquaintance at the time. And uh, her husband was playing in the band, um, so I sat down next to her, and we got to talking, talking about our stories. And my story, of course, was very clean, and how much I loved the Lord, and how great my life was, and you know, all this stuff, and of course, when she starts to talk, it's a totally different tune. It's, you know, you know, I've had, I had a real pretty rough, uh, you know, teenage life. I was sexually abused by a youth pastor. I was, you know, addicted to porn, and I was like, it was like the the record, you know, stopped, and I was like, (laughs) what? You know, like, addicted to porn? You're a girl, right? You're like I was. It was so unfathomable to me that there would be another woman in this world within my realm of of community. You know, she went to my church. Like she used to struggle with porn. Like that's mm-hmm. insane. You know, okay. um, I, I didn't believe her at first. I was like, she knows something about me. She found out. Maybe she saw me at the hotel that day. Like I don't know. Like somehow she knows. You know, but, um, you know, I had a choice to make in that moment. I could say, huh, that's interesting. Sorry about that. 
<laughs> you know, like, leave me alone, you weirdo. Or right. I could say... Even though you're doing it, I know that that's like, like an addict's heart. And sometimes we, 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 we build up so much of our surface identity that when somebody shares something deep like that, it's almost like reaction to to want to distance ourselves from the fact that they're, they're, they're us. Like, wow, you struggle with the same thing I do. You're a freak, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I was like, uh, okay, good. Okay, right. that's weird. I'm going to walk away now. Um, you know, but I, I mean, I, but I remembered a week ago, I was like, God, you have to give me a way out. You have to provide me with somebody to talk to. And there she was, you know, right. um, and so the two most two most powerful words in the whole world are me too, you know. Yeah. And so just for and so I sat there, in tears in my eyes, and said me too, and told her yeah. my story, you know. Um, and it was through that experience of finally confessing and sharing it and bringing that beast I've been feeding this whole time into the light, you know. Um, yeah was when true healing could take place because it was That's no longer the, in the dark. And once you bring something into light, you cannot put it under the, into dark again. So Exactly. Once the yeah. monster is, is, is out, I, I love that, you, you know, that the voice is in, in our head that, you know, trying to, to say, you know, don't share this. You can feel that, right? But you, yeah. you went and did it anyway, which is awesome. So from what I understand with your story, you – had some, uh, you had some victory over this before you started the ministry. Like this didn't just like oh, I got to get into this kind of um, work. Years, yeah. I uh, I'm I'm over ten years sober now. Um, so oh. to uh, consider um, when I when I engaged in a in an, in an accountable relationship with her, um, you know that that really changed things for me because it wasn't just you know. I, course I had to surrender to God and to his healing mercy but I also had to have that accountability in my life to where when when I did struggle I had somebody to talk to um so she became and she still is one of my most dear friends um you know I I she saved my life I, I really believe or God used her to save my life but um you know, that was 2003, and at the end of 2003, I started working for a church, my church, in 2000, early 2004, um, you know, and I really just kind of wanted to keep this part of my life a secret. I didn't want people to know that I had struggled. My philosophy was, hey, thanks, Jesus, you got me through that. Let's not talk about it again. Right. Like, I'm over that. You know, let's move on. Um, but, of course, God had totally different plans. You know, and he kind of sometimes pulls you out of your comfort zone by making you completely uncomfortable. Um, yeah. You know, almost relentless in his approach sometimes. And I, uh, it was 2007 when uh, I kind of had pressed upon me to start leading a group at my church. Um, I was thinking like a Bible study, you know, or something. Right. Um, but, you know, as I was looking through stuff, I was like, I don't want to do another Beth Moore study. There's like 800 of them going on at my church, <laughs> which I love Beth Moore. But, you know, there's everybody's leading a Beth Moore group. You know, there's plenty of them. Right, right. And I just uh, really felt like God was like, what what have you experienced that, you know, only you've experienced? My knowledge of him and what he's done in my life. What is my testimony? And I used to always want to be like, my testimony is very clean. Like, 
grew up, went to church sometimes, came to this church, found Jesus at camp, and I've been saved ever since. Like, that was my, like, my testimony, you know, like, um, but my testimony was a lot rockier than that, um, obviously. And so I went to uh, a director of counseling at the church at the time and was like, I have this idea. It's not my idea. (laughs) You know, to to lead a group for women who struggle with porn. Um, And he was like, okay. Like, he wasn't, you know, he was open to it, but he was more like, what do you know about that? Because you're this squeaky clean kid who's been, you know, volunteering at the church since she was 15. You know, um, and I basically had to say to him, this was my life for eight years. This was my struggle. I really went through this. And it was a, you know, they didn't, they, it was hard to believe, you know. Um, that's what that's what addiction is, especially sex addiction. You don't, it's, yeah. it's never those you expect, you know. Um, it's kind of like, it's also kind of like getting emotionally naked in front of people, you know. Like oh, the gosh, physical yeah. nakedness is, 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 is almost a manifestation of, of something deeper in our hearts. And then when you start to say that, yeah, man, I struggle with this, and and y- you know, like I, some Nate Larkin said, um, the pirate monk uh, guy, him, yeah. he, he was he was saying that, you know, when, when I was a little boy, I didn't think, you know, when I grow up, I want to start a ministry for the sexually broken, right? right? Like it's not something you aspire to, but when when you feel that freedom and when you you know, experience the the grace and the mercy. It's it's hard not to talk about it, even though it's uncomfortable, isn't it, Crystal? Oh yeah, and it seemed like once I started talking about it, I couldn't stop talking about it. You know, um, I think uh, so much of it was still I was I think I was still, you know, in shame about it, even though I had found freedom. I was no longer an addict. I believe you could you can overcome something and not be an addict anymore. Um, you know, I still had shame about it, about what what people think of me, you know, if I came out with this, you know. But once I did, I couldn't, you couldn't shut me up, you know. Um, Is this when you wrote the book, Uh, Dirty Girls Come Clean is the name of the book? Is that when you uh, decided to? That was a couple years later. Um, You know, I uh, started leading groups with a different curriculum, um, a great curriculum for women, and um, I was, but it was getting kind of dry. I wanted something different, and I went to a local Lifeway store looking uh-huh. for something else. Like, is there anything else in this, you know, whole store, you know, that might address <laughs> women and pornography addiction? Because the other book was really about female sexual addiction. It was very much like sex addicts, like uncontrollable sexual behavior and affairs right. and stuff, which the ladies that I was working with really wasn't their issue. And so I right. most of it, it most of it is porn, and that's what was your story was was more porn addiction than yeah, you know exactly. anonymous sex and stuff like that. Yeah, and so I tried to find what I could find, and of course, only stuff in there was for men. Um, right. You know, and there I was again, hearing God's voice saying, "You're going to write that book," and I laughed right. out loud hysterically in the middle of Lifeway. Um, and I texted my friend Ann, and I was like, I think God wants me to write a book on female porn addiction. And she texted back, of course he does. Um, so it was, 
you know, funny, really. Um, and then uh, it started out really just blogging um, and uh, kind of getting some information from women, kind of getting surveys. This was, this was in 2009. Um, and that's when I realized, like, I did a survey about female addiction, and I said, okay, you know, take this survey. I had some friends in high places in, in the blogging world at the time, and so I had them share it. And within one week, I had 300 surveys from women wow. from around the world. Like, one was from Romania, of all places, wow. yeah. um, sharing that they had struggled and what the struggle was like. And so I realized this wasn't just a book. This was an untapped ministry that women really needed support um, in a really big way. And so the book actually went kind of on the back burner uh, as I continued to blog, but um, when we started Dirty Girls Ministries in February of 2009, um, you know, and then through that I was approached by a publishing assistant, you know, out of at, at Moody Publishers randomly. Like, this doesn't happen to people. This has yeah. to be God. You know, they said, we see you writing a book. We'd love to see it. And I was like, I don't have it. I don't have anything. <laughs> you know, so um, little did they know. I said, if you could just give me, you know, about a couple a couple of weeks, I can get you some, some chapters over to you. So I really wrote it, like, rapidly, um, you know, to get to get it to them. And they and they loved it. And they were really um, encouraging. And they ended up, you know, obviously publishing it. Um, in 2011, when it actually came out, um, and it's been, you know, it's not it's not a New York Times bestseller, but she's she's uh, you know cooking away, and uh, wow. it's very nice. exciting when I hear from women who email me and say, "I found your book, and thank you for writing it. I finally don't feel alone." You know, there's a the there, and you're really on the cutting edge uh, of this kind of stuff. This book coming out in 2000. 11, which is just three years ago, and some of the research that's coming out now as far as men in porn addiction and some of the stuff that you were sharing, and I, I believe an, another member was sharing, I was reading about her story. I wanted to read you something that, uh, this is from uh, yourbrainonporn.com, and this is some neurological research uh, that's been done by um, biological, right, the atheist biologists, right, that believes in, you know, evolutionary biology. And they were talking about this being kind of a, a men's club thing, but what, what you know, what you were talking about, and there is women, there, there is women that struggle, and they they say that, but most of this research was focused towards men, and it talked about um, the male brain, right, and this kind of sensory overload that we get when it comes to sexual material. Uh, the erotic imagery today with high-speed Internet access is not like it was even 100 years ago. Like a guy could go his whole life and see, you know, so many erotic images where you could go through in a day today, right? Um, so the, the landscape certainly changed. But what he was talking about was they did this study with a rat, and they introduced this male rat to a bunch of different female um, right, suitors that were like in rat heat or something like that. I don't know. But the, the rat basically wore himself out. And that's what they were talking about, that pornography addiction, when, it, when we're ad um, our body goes through this, this craving for those endorphins, and it, it brings us to this point of physical exhaustion, which I found interesting. Um, and it's also some of the some of the stuff that um, 
some of your your women have shared these stories too, where feeling uh, not just depressed but physically exhausted, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, it, 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 and and it having a, it affect our endorphin levels, depression, anxiety are affected because the the analogy that I was thinking of as I was reading this is it's kind of like getting in your car, putting it in park, and then just redlining the engine. Like that's what sex does. From arousal to orgasm, it's kind of like that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if we keep doing that every day, we start to wear out ourselves. You watch these Viagra commercials, for example, and they always end the commercial with make sure your doctor says that you're, you know, you're safe enough for sex, that your heart's safe enough for sex, because, you know, you get some old guy in his 80s on Viagra, he, he could kill himself. I mean, sexuality with all of those chemicals going off our mind, it, it, it's it's taxing on the body. We don't realize that, but something that you were sharing was it's not it's not a guy's thing, man. This is women are are, are experiencing these kind of phenomena too, right? Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the biggest that we see is is depression, um, right? Mainly because I think that there's so much going on with the dopamine, the serotonin, their you know the adrenaline, all of it. It gets um, so over exerted that we actually right. don't eat our bodies of it. Yeah, you know? that's, those um, are those natural uptake inhibitors. And the number one uh, today, that's 2000. I think it was 2013. These numbers came out. The number one prescribed medication for women in this country is antidepressants. You know? Yeah, I believe it. I was on them. I was on three or four of them, uh, you know, at different times. That was I. You know, so, and, and, you know, there, and I'm not against medication. I think there's a season for it sometimes. Yeah, um, me too. But, uh, you know, I, and that is the biggest thing we see. There's It's suicide and it's depression. And it's because yeah. those levels of serotonin are being absolutely depleted because they're being worked so hard that yeah. your body just can't keep up with producing it. And so, and, of course, you bring on the the shame part of it and you bring on the isolation part of it and it just feeds that depression. It feeds those suicidal thoughts. You know, when I would lead groups, we even had a suicide pact. I'd make them sign. You cannot kill yourself without first telling somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is because it's a very real thing to experience and even withdrawal can create that kind of thing too because your body is like, I need this. I need it. I need it. I need it. Because it's right. so uh-huh. used to having it. That when you don't have it, there are withdrawal symptoms too. You can feel, you can have digestive issues, you can have um, massive headaches, uh, vivid dreams, all kinds of things. You know that end up happening as your brain's trying to rewire itself. Um, you know, and I, and I have a friend. His name's Tal Prince. He'd be a good guy to have on your on your podcast too. Um, yeah. And uh, he talks about how he's on college campuses, and, and Dr. Patrick Carnes talks about. You know, men as young as 24 have erectile dysfunction. Oh yeah. You know, because of it, and they're having they can't they can't perform with a partner without watching porn or using Viagra at 24. Oh. You know, that's so, this, uh, there's a community on Reddit right now called NoFap. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's been talked about in, in major men's magazines and stuff. Uh, GQ even did a story on on NoFap, over 90,000 members. And yeah. it's done by, uh, it's done from a, a secular perspective. It's, <laughs> it's it's strange. It's like a secular purity group, you know? And and, and it goes on this research. And they, and that's a lot of these guys, like that's why they're, they're 
getting into this because they they realize that they're having you know sexual problems like guys in their 40s had and i talked about this when i first started this podcast back in 2005 there was some research from the danis group if you google them they're uh, janice like the, the greek god not like the, the woman's name but they did some research on viagra and studying why it was the most prescribed medication for a few years there when it came out. And they were finding the same thing, that if men masturbate, you know, all their lives, then yeah. it's like a, like a muscle, like three minutes and you're done, three minutes and you're done. Well, you, you, get, in that, you get in a relationship and guess what? You know, you got the, the erectile dysfunction. So same thing happens women, with women with compulsive yeah. masturbation. They become desensitized. And they can't yeah. even orgasm without the assistance of a vibrator or, you know, something else. So, yeah. It's I'm I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing, Crystal. It is, it is awesome. And I, I like uh, that you know in your book you have a a bit of a coach's you have a coach's heart, and I dig that about you. It's it, that's with me as well. Um, my best counselors were coaches. Like I, I would. I had a few Christian counselors that I paid to, to counsel me, but the ones that made the big – there's another thing that you said that I thought was great too. It doesn't. You don't have to have someone that has your story to coach you or counsel you. Like the best guy who coached me was a, was a pastor. He's like a pastor for 40 years. guy had never been through sexual addiction, but he was the best coach. The first guy I saw was a sex addict that had some freedom over it, but he was more of a, a counselor. Like he would listen to me. You know, I'm paying 70 bucks a week for this guy to listen to me gripe and complain and bitch, right? So, (laughs) but this other guy was was more of a coach. And and you talk about that in your your book, like having a kind of a no excuses sort of attitude, right? I really do. I know. My partner in crime in the ministry, her name is Jenny, and she'll be on our podcast too when we start that. She... Um, is much nicer than me. And we always talk about that, how she is so much nicer than I am. Because I'm I'm really not nice about it because I know when you're bullshitting me, if I can say that. Like, I know know it because I've I've been you. So you can't lie to me because I've made all the excuses in the world. And I don't put up with it, you know. And it's like, if you're not ready for recovery, then leave. Yeah. You know, and that's really, I mean, it's all in grace, it's all in love, you know, but it's like, but I want you to be well, as much as God does, because I know what yeah. it's like to be where you are, and it's no way to live. Yeah. And so I'm not going to coddle you. I I first started going to recovery groups at Mars Hill Church, and, and these guys, I mean, this was downtown Seattle, it's Ballard area, I mean, it's gritty Seattle, and there was heroin addicts and porn addicts and stuff in the same room. And this guy, James Noriega, just a, a, a beautiful guy, loves people, but also had that kind of attitude. It's like, I can't fix you. Like, if you're coming here thinking that I can fix you, I can't do that. I can show you the door, but you're the one that's got to walk through it. And if you're not going to walk through it, we don't have time. We don't have the energy. We don't have the resources to coddle you, you know, right? Yeah. No, and I'm I'm a certified life coach now, and so I do life coaching. And so I'm like, okay, if you're not ready, if you're not going to do the homework, I can't help you because you're not going to get freedom with one hour a week with me. Right. You know, it has to be that you're doing the work. You have to work the program. It's not enough just to meet with me for an hour. Yeah, true. You know. Me too. I've done a little life coaching myself, and, and, uh, yeah, it, it 
it can be frustrating, but it's rewarding when Very folks rewarding. finally get to that bro- bro- breaking point to where, you know, it's like you have to get to the end of yourself, right? Yeah, no, I always say, you know, the coaching is about them, but, man, do I not feel awesome when they get breakthrough. Right. You know, like, it feels so awesome to to uh, see that happen in somebody's life because I know what it, I know what that light bulb moment feels like. And I know what that feels like to say, finally, you know, here we right. are, you know. Getting to the, you know, the, that collision in the heart where, you know, first there's the addiction up here, and then you get a layer below that, and then there's that defeatist attitude of the excuse-making. Like, I was varsity at making excuses. Like, I get what you're saying. I, you can't you can't bullshit a bullshitter. Like, I've been yeah. through it. I know. Like, I, my mind would produce. I have, like, a, I had like a, a little defense attorney that would pop up on my shoulder, you know? Think of these old pictures of the devil and the and the and the guy with the white robes, you know, on on each shoulder. No, I had a defense attorney, and he was good, man. <laughs> he would pop oh, up, yeah. and and I have a quick mind, you know. I'm I'm a fairly smart guy, right? So I could I could just I could just blow away, and it was like an attitude. It was like an energy that was coming out of me, more than it was rational, more than it was intellectual. It was an energy of defensiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's finally seeing that break in someone and seeing them, right, seeing them surrender like you were saying. Yeah. No, I work with women who they are adamant that they don't have any childhood baggage or they're adamant they don't have these root causes, which there's always root causes. You don't just jump into this and be like, this is satisfying me. There's root causes for why you're doing this. And you're lying to yourself and you're in denial if you don't think that there is. And so, like, I work with girls, you know, and it, it is, it's like it's like talking to a wall sometimes. Right. Or all the time, actually. But then um, you get to that point where it's like they realize, yeah, you know, there is stuff, that there is junk in my past. I was sexually abused by an uncle. Um, Yeah, that's going to be a problem that you need to work through. Exactly. You know, like, that's. It's not the reason, or it's not it's not what's keeping you in addiction. But you have to get to that point where you where you can face that and get healing from it. Because you're gonna. So what I know about addiction is that if you don't fix it, and you just kind of fix the behavior, it's, it's going to manifest itself in a, in a different kind of addiction later. Yeah. You know. So you know, alcoholism or yeah, you crack have to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I did that too. I went through. I was asked as a kid. I was sexually abused as a kid um, a couple of different times, and it, sadly, you know, there was more than one instance. But I was asked a number of times if this happened to me. I was asked by a clinical psychologist that my mom's insurance company was paying like over $200 an hour because I had all these behavior problems as a kid. And they would ask me, I mean, just get in my face and go, were you, did somebody touch you in appropriate places? And I said, no. And I said, no, every time. And it was part of it was the lies that I believed because the guy in the guy who sexually abused me, um, one of the ways he kept me quiet was to say, if anybody knows this about you, they will reject you. Like, I had this time, something horrible happened, and I won't go into that, but he, I wanted to tell because it was it was horrible. And and I said, uh, 
it was more horrible than what was mostly horrible that was happening. So I wanted to tell my my mom. I was like almost shaking, and I was like I was going to tell. And I and, and he said that like this is I don't know if this is even the the, the memories are so shaky, but he said he said this. He said if you say anything, do you think your parents will see you the same? Like you'll be broken and. You know, you're you're going to be dirty to them. Like, go. He was almost. Like, he didn't really say this, but it was almost like daring me to tell. And that yeah. followed me all my life, Crystal, until I was like thirty six, thirty five years old before I actually broke to the point where I had to face the truth and be honest about what happened to me. Yeah, oh, I, mean, I can't. I can't imagine. And you know, I never. I never experienced that. Um, I'm sorry that you right. had to. You know, and yeah. it's a lot of women's stories, and more women are are sexually abused than men, and and you know, oh, I'm yeah. to get that out. And, and it your it's story, repeated thing we hear in our ministry is how the women, okay. we've been abused, and it's you know, damn those men. Yeah, those guys, it, and and someone may be listening right now, and I challenge them to, man, you got to stop. You got to confess. You got to stop doing what you're doing because if you're harming a little girl like that, if you're listening right now and you're harming a little girl like that, you have no idea how many hours of of work it's going to take her to just get some kind of sense of what it feels to be normal again, man. So if that's you and you're listening right now, you stop right freaking now, all right? Stop the damage. The ripple effect can end today if you allow it if you let it if you push back those horrible voices in your head break this thing talk to somebody and and uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on was seeing pornography at a young age like 10 I've heard guys talk about this in studies as well that that kind of thing is is has the same ramifications as sexual abuse that seeing Having your kids view pornography, um, even seeing that can cause the same emotional problems and the same um, the same things that, that that sexual abuse does, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't have the relationship aspect to it, but it still has those feelings come up, right? Yeah, you know, my first counselor that I I told this to, she um, told me that the first exposure to porn in a little girl like me um, mm. can be equivalent to a rape victim's emotional trauma. Wow. Um, nice. Because I'd never experienced that before, and I'd never seen imagery like that before, nor should anybody, really. Um, you know, and so there was a lot of emotional core damage done to me, you know, not just prior to the porn, but because of the porn. Um, that I had to work through that were very similar to those same feelings of having been violated. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and, I, and I tell women that the same thing. You may, not have been, you may not have been sexually abused physically, but you've been abused emotionally. Right. And there's something to this, uh, this soul level thing that we get into as Christians. Um uh, thank you for being honest, too, you know. I, I don't do this show to preach to the choir. I never have. I just want to put truth out there. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not some religious guy trying to sell you Jesus or trying to shove the Jesus pill down your throat. But um, C.S. Lewis, who was a brilliant man, a very educated man, a very, a very smart guy, said something that, that always stuck with me. He said that you're not, you're not a body, right? You're, you're not a body with a soul. You're a soul living in a body. So, you know, all of this uh, this stuff with the, the brain chemistry and, and the counseling and behavior modification and stuff, all that stuff is great, but there is a, there's a deeper issue going on here, isn't there? We're, we're being reconciled to, to our creator in a sense, aren't we, Crystal? We are, and I think that I think all of us, whether you, you know, you're at that point of knowing God or not, I think that we all have, like that song says, uh, the God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. We do. You know, we were created by a creator who who loves us, and, and unfortunately this world is broken, you know, but we're all on the same journey toward understanding him better, um, understanding our purpose here on earth, because it's such a short time compared to eternity, you know. So, what you, you know, we have, this is all a staging area, you know, for eternity, but unfortunately some of that staging area is, difficult and it sucks yeah. you know um but we're we're i think we're all searching for him in some, right. some level and i think that in a lot of ways you know pornography and and these sexual emotional addictions you know it, it's it's a, it's our way of trying to find that purpose and that meaning in our lives and it, it gets us off course yeah. so speak to uh maybe the christian woman who's listening um, Crystal, who who maybe stirred in her heart to to say something, um, but she feels like you know there's no place to turn that her church wouldn't understand. Um, what would you say to that woman? Uh, I think that it's it's time. If you're yeah. contemplating telling somebody or getting help, then it's time. Yeah. Um, there's there's those who you know are still struggling who you know aren't ready, but if you're contemplating that, then it's time. It means God's got a plan for you. Um, and that, you know, if you don't have someone to talk to at your at your church or in your life, you know, a counselor is a great objective party <laughs> to speak to who can walk uh-huh. alongside you and help you. Um, our ministry, Pretty Girls Ministries, our online community is a great place to come um, to confess. Uh, to say this is my struggle. Um, you're not alone in this. You know, we, our recent survey said 40% of those who took it identified themselves as an addict. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're in good company. A lot of great women have gone before right. you and have struggled. And it's not something that you have to live in silence with, isolation and shame. It's a struggle that so many have struggled with. Um, but God does have a way out from temptation for you. Um, but it does take accountability. It does take that step of confession. But ultimately, it, it takes that surrender and say to God, this is yours. You're going to have to give me a way out. You're going to have to take it. You're going to have to provide me a way out from this. And he will. And I'm telling you right now that there are there is a space for you to find help, and that's with our community. So you can't make excuses anymore that you have no one to talk to because there's 2,000-plus women who are waiting to encourage you, 
and to pray with you and to help you be accountable and to grow in your relationship with God. And that's awesome, Crystal. I thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your ministry. Again, uh, DirtyGirlsMinistries.com. I'll have links to the website. When you get your podcast going, I'll, I want to put a link. I have a list of, of recommended podcasts. I want to put a link to that as well on the uh, on the website. Um, again, thanks for, for doing this. Thanks for spending this time with me. We had a little uh, scheduling issue but uh, you're you're gracious to to still be on the show and I, and I thank you for that so much. Um Thanks for having me. I really I look forward to seeing what God does with this. You bet. Uh, again, uh Dirty Girls Ministries the book is Dirty Girls Come Clean, uh whole women's ministries because it's sex is just like you were saying, sex is just a small part of this, isn't it? It's just a you It's know. a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. Symptom of a, of, a, of a need to become whole. Um, right. Yeah. Addiction isn't the disease. I mean, that's one thing that bugs me about AA. I mean, I, I like AA. I like twelve-step groups. I think that's great. But the alcoholism, the sex alcoholism, whatever the ism is, it's a symptom. It's the heart yeah. that's diseased. All right. And uh, thanks again for being on the podcast. Until next time, listeners, uh, ASI247.org is my website. If you want to go and see any of the links to Crystal's uh, stuff, um, you can go there. Until next time, bye. I know I stumble.